0: Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ, and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. What do we do with
1: those Old Testament passages that teach like genocide? Uh, what, what do we do? How do we handle this? How do we interpret the Bible with some of these crazy things that are said in the Old Testament? What do we do? Uh, New Testament, for the most part, there's a logical explanation for nearly everything that you read in the New Testament. I mean, there's a couple of situations and places that we got to wrestle through. But for the most part, it's all pretty straightforward, right? Here's one. The central point in time is this event. Correct? Yep. The most influential person that ever lived was Jesus Christ. The most influential moment in all of history was what? The
0: cross.
1: The death upon the cross. It is Jesus that split time from A.D. to B.C., right? All right. And I know they're trying to do C.E. now, but it's still A.D. A, and B.C. Right. Now, here's what we know. The people in the Old Testament that were looking to Jesus... Had they ever seen God? No. The only thing they saw were theophanies, which are veiled images of God. There was Moses that apparently saw the hind butt cheek of God. Can you read the story? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's... Nobody saw. They had experiences. They had relationships. They had things going on in their lives. They had political, social, spiritual events. They saw miracles. And they interpreted them with a faith looking forward to Jesus and the cross. How were people saved in the Old Testament? They're saved by faith looking forward to an event that had not yet happened. That's called faith. They were looking forward. Now, we know especially from the verses we've been talking through this entire 21 days. We know that Jesus is the representation of God and is a full revelation of who God is, right? So now, on this side of the cross, we are looking back on an event in history and back on an actual person that we can know and understand. And in looking back, we have a clearer view, but it is still faith, Looking back, how's the person saved by, by their faith, looking back to the cross. In the Old Testament, their faith was looking forward to the cross. There, the language Paul uses is that it is a veil. The Old Testament is a veil, right? anybody read your Bible, you know what the passage I'm talking about Second Corinthians chapter four? It's a veil. There's a veil over the law. This is a veil. It's not going to be clear. So me, as a pastor, when I talk about things, I like to stay in the New Testament because at least then I know what God looks like because I know what this looks like. And we're looking back at facts. Here, you're going to find a lot of things they didn't know, they didn't understand, and there's going to be a lot of of statements that aren't clear. Now, there are a lot of things that this does not teach us. One of those things that we're going to talk about tomorrow in service. I mean, we have a limited knowledge of what's going on in the heavenly realms. We have limited knowledge of demons and powers and spiritual things. We have a limited knowledge of those things. All right, so this is faith, okay? Um, with that being said, um, what is the purpose of the scriptures both Old and New Testament? Who has them in John 5:39. 39? Got it, go ahead. Yes, sir, real loud.
0: These are the scriptures that testify about me
1: all right, get, back it up. Doesn't it say uh, you diligently study the scriptures? Yes. Because
0: you think that they possess eternal life. Here, reread it all first. Okay. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that they, by them, you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me that you refuse to come to me to have life.
1: So, what do we know about the Bible, both Old and New Testament? These are the scriptures that do what? Testify about Jesus. about Jesus. Who has Second Timothy three fifteen? Can you read that really loud? Fifteen
0: or sixteen? Well, actually, start in verse
1: sixteen because it's one everybody knows.
0: Okay, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness.
1: So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right there, you go. All right. All right, so what do we know about the Bible? It's inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for these things. Does that verse tell you why we have a scripture? It does not. What does verse 15 say? Verse 15 says, How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ why do we have the scriptures we have the scriptures to bring us to salvation through faith in christ all scripture is inspired by god and it is useful for those things but its very purpose is to bring us to christ are y'all following me yeah. so why do we have multiple retellings of the same story we have multiple retellings of the same story to give us different perspectives if we're in different stages and places of life that the gospel applies to all of us, regardless of where we are in our world and in our life and in our living, there are different reasons for the gospels. So, um, let me, uh, I'll jump into my notes and then I'm going to do this quick. Y'all, y'all ready? To listen fast. New Testament was written in the culture of first century Judaism. You should do your best to do something to learn about first century Judaism. If you want to do that, Jesus and the Gospels is good. This book right here is really, really good. Survey of the New Testament. uh, Really, really great book. By Robert H. Gundry. This book is worth your time and energy to read. It is incredibly uh, challenging to read, but it is worth it. Actually, it's one of the more readable New Testament surveys I've ever read. So, uh, Robert Gundry, um, survey of the New Testament. Right. Um, so if I say, gentlemen, start your... How do you all know that? Would somebody in the first century have known to finish that sentence? Why wouldn't they? Well, they didn't have engines. <laughs> yeah, they, they may think anything else. But we know what, gentlemen, start your engines means because we grow up in a culture in which that is a part of our cultural dialogue. How about this one, King James? What does King James mean? Uh, verse five, Bible? Bible. Bible? <laughs> <laughs> what? LeBron? <laughs> you go to downtown Cleveland? You go to downtown, actually you go to downtown Akron, yeah. and you ask King James. Yeah. Who is it going to be? You go to downtown Los Angeles, who is King James going to be? LeBron. LeBron. Yeah. Awesome. Where you're living and walking determines the meaning of phrases. Yeah. We're in a Bible study. I see King James. you think, oh, I'm, the... I'm on the courts. Right? Yeah. The reason I do that is a lot of us read the Bible through our eyes and we miss the eyes of the people who originally read the document. What I want to do is I want to give you a little bit... All right, one more. 9-11.
0: Uh-oh.
1: What do you think of? twin towers falling. And how do you think about that? With uh-oh, with bad, with... I can't believe they did that. Now, if you were a jihadist, living in Afghanistan, and I say, 9-11, what are you going to do?
0: You're
1: going to celebrate. Same word, same phrase, same event, interpreted two different ways. Be careful when you're reading your Bible that you're not reading it only through the eyes of your 21st century youth. All right. So there's an intertestamental period. What most people don't realize then, Anna. Can I? Not just me. Yeah, all right, y'all are gonna have to hang on. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna make some changes. I don't care if this get
0: gets
1: bored. Here we go. It's sad. Jesus showed up around uh, the first. The first New Testament writing we're going to get is I'm gonna say it's gonna be about 50 A.D. Uh, Jesus died. 30 AD. He was born probably about 4 BC, somewhere in that area. You'll follow it? Everybody says the scriptures are quiet from 400 BC. The problem is they aren't. Uh, For example, the book of Daniel. There are portions of the book of Daniel that show strong fact, especially chapters 11 and 12 of the book of Daniel, show that they were written sometime around 150 B.C. There are other portions of your Old Testament that may have also been written in that time period because something happened around 150 B.C. that totally changed the entire Jewish, Christian, whatever world, the Bible world we're talking about. Does anybody know what it was? The Maccabean, what was that? The desecrated the temple. There was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. And I think it was 156. Was it 156? Am I correct? 156 BC. He sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem. Those of you that know anything about Jews, what? That's not good, right? Pigs were no, no. Animals. He sacrifices a pig on the altar. So that is known as the abomination that causes desolation. Anybody ever read that in Matthew chapter 24 and wonder what the abomination that causes desolation is? It's already happened. Come
0: on. That's right.
1: It may be a prefiguring of what is to come, but it has already happened, and it probably will happen again in some measure. But unless you think... About the original, you will never really truly interpret the future unless you have a clear understanding of the original event because you get got to know what they were talking about to know what they're talking about. Amen. Are y'all <laughs> following? Yeah. So the Maccabean revolts happened around 150 B.C. and they ruled until, what was it, 63 B.C. when one of the Maccabeans sold out to Rome. All right, all that to say is, there is this time period here. Anybody ever hear of the Nag Hammadi text? Anybody hear of the Essenes? Anybody ever hear of, uh, uh, oh, come on, what was that? Scrolls that were found? The Dead Sea. Not, yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Guess what? Nag-, Nag Hammadi was different, sorry. The Dead Sea Scrolls. It all happened in this time period. There was a resurgence, a revival. Israel, uh, up to this point, Israel was under Seleucid rule. Uh, I'm sorry, not Seleucia, uh, um um... A Babylonian and some measure Babylonian being Persian whatever rule. They threw that off here. And then what happened is, this is a time period where Israel was, was ruling itself. The Maccabees, there's 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th Maccabees in the intertestamental period. Now what happens in this time period is there is something that is written All the way back, Babylonian captivity. Remember when the first temple was destroyed. Y'all remember that? Babylonian captivity, book of Jeremiah, the temple's destroyed. So the first temple, first temple destroyed. The second temple is built with Ezra. And this is the second temple. And this is the second temple era, era that goes all the way to 70 AD, where it's destroyed again. Second temple literature is different than first temple literature. We, we will make some references to books like Tobit, Enoch, and others that are, Enoch, by the way, is quoted by at least four New Testament authors. The book of Enoch, it's not found in your Bible, but yet I've I read it. It's a weird book. It's a Jewish Greek book. It's different. It's strange. Anyway, all right. In this time period here, there were a lot of things that happened in these years. These things that happened in these years will inform how you understand the scriptures that you have. By the way, in the Old Testament, how many demons were there in the Old Testament? No. Demons. And I think of anybody demon-possessed in the Old Testament. Well, there was that one dude, Saul. Right? An evil spirit from the Lord. Oh! Now you're meddling. Hold on, hold on. Where did the evil spirit come from? the Lord. You can go back and look it up in First Samuel. The evil spirit came from the Lord. There were no demons in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up. What's he doing? What's part of his ministry every single day?
0: What happened?
1: What happened? You know what happened? Greek influence during the second temple period, the book of Enoch happened. Greek influence, there were demons. Now, I, I need you to understand these things because In in this time period, something grew up. No longer was the temple in existence, so there grew this thing called... (laughs) Synagogues. And in the synagogues, synagogues were ten adult males of the Jewish faith, Why ten... My tenth. What what were we supposed to give every year? A tenth of your income? So, if you needed a a teacher in your synagogue or the ruler of the synagogue, how did they make their money? Off a tenth? So, mind you, you need ten. Are y'all following this at all? So, there was a synagogue that grew up, and the predominant Bible that they used was not a Hebrew Old Testament. It was what we call the LXX, or the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint was a Greek writing of the Old Testament. Anybody ever read, uh, say, a quote from the New Testament? In the New Testament, you ever read a quote of the Old Testament? You go back to the Old Testament, read it, and it reads totally different. You ever do that? Yeah, do you want to know a big reason why? They weren't quoting a Hebrew Old Testament, which we're using. We use uh, as... The Bibles you have use the Masoretic Hebrew Old Testament as the core, and sort of the basis on which the writing of the Old Testament's based. In their synagogues, they were using the Septuagint or the Greek version of the Old Testament, so the quotations were often different. Hmm. All right. Is that new information anybody in the room? Yeah, All right, good. Is it useful? Yeah, it All right. So... <laughs> Here's what would happen. In the synagogues that grew up during this time period, a, a fierce, a fierce identity of Jewish pride came out of this rebellion. That we overthrew the power mongers and we ruled ourselves. And then they sold out to Rome. And then there's a lot of tension against Rome and it <laughs> Because uh, what happened was they gave semi-Jewish, semi-Roman leaders that interacted over Israel during the time that Jesus was walking on the earth. Herod, for example, was a Jew that acted like a Gentile. Wow. So here's what happened in synagogues. So In the synagogue, there was a synagogue ruler who was the rabbi, the teacher. And they ran a school in every synagogue. In the synagogue, they would teach the boys. The boys would memorize the Torah and all that kind of stuff. And if you actually memorized the Torah, they probably thought this kid's pretty bright. So what they would do is when you turned 11 or 12, we're usually about at Bar Mitzvah, about 12 years of age, what they would do is the 12-year-old boys that were bright, the rabbi would say, hey, come and be a part of my rabbi school and go to the next level. And if you weren't bright, guess what you would do? You'd go work with your dad in his family business. Are y'all following me? So the bright kids went on to rabbi school. That's why Jesus, there's nothing said about him from age 12 to 30. Because he was a bright kid, where was he at? Rabbi school, probably the same one James was in. You know how I know? You read Jesus, you read James, they sound very similar. Either that or they were raised by the same mom.
0: Alright,
1: so where did Jesus find his disciples? Every single one of them. They were at work. They were working. So they were all past 12 years of age. And they were all doing what? Working. Were they bright? They weren't rabbi school, were they? So when it says in the scripture that God chose the things that are not to confound the wise, just know this, that God can use even dropouts and failures like me and you to confound the wise and change the world. Amen. that a preacher right there. All right. So. Uh, Most Jewish boys were literate. Anybody that claims otherwise, that uh, they don't know what they're talking about. Jewish kids were taught to read and write. They were taught to to read and write Torah in Hebrew, even though they spoke Aramaic in daily language. So the synagogue served, if you will, the, the city council of sorts and a court of sorts and everything sort of revolved around the synagogue. That's the reason every time Jesus goes to town, where does he show up first? Synagogue. And when Paul goes to spread the gospel around the, the Middle Eastern world, the, the Mediterranean world, where does he go? He goes to synagogues first because he's going where people already know God. They already have an understanding of the scriptures. They already have an understanding of the prophecies. And they already have the same core values, so he goes to them first. So this is the second temple between 515 B.C. with the construction of the temple under Ezra and the ending in 70 A.D. It's called the uh, Second Temple. And the Maccabean dynasty lasted from 164 B.C. to 63 B.C. Some stuff about the world of Jesus. The languages were Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. So in any town in Israel, you could probably hear all three languages being spoken. By the way, what's somebody who's trilingual? What do you call somebody that's trilingual? I'm sorry. What do you call somebody that knows three languages?
0: <laughs> what do you call
1: somebody that knows two languages? Wow. What well, do you call somebody that knows one language? American. American. <laughs> um, I to go. I wanted to go to Israel. We were supposed to go in May of this year. We're going to revisit Israel. I want to learn because the topography, the travel, all of that kind of stuff, I would love to go see it uh, because I'm sure when I went to Corinth, it helped me understand the Corinthian letters a little bit better actually standing on the side that happened. Uh, but if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, I encourage you to do so. Uh, apocryphal writings. Wow. Um, I'm going to skip this, but let me just say this. The triad of righteousness Jesus uses in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Does anybody know what it is? When you pray, when you fast, and when you give alms. Those are the three things that he uses as righteousness. Those are, those are the core values of a righteous person as taught by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Can I read for you a quote from a book called Tobit that's in the Apocrypha? It's in the, the Catholic Bible. It's not in ours. And there's a reason why it's not in ours. It's not of the same quality. But I want you to know that Jesus and his followers were well acquainted with these writings. Here's a quote for you. Verse um, Oh, alms de- almsgiving delivers from death and will keep you from going into darkness. How about this one? Tobit 12.8.9. Prayer with fasting is good, but better than both is almsgiving with righteousness. Where do you think Jesus came up with that triad of righteousness? Tobit. Well, he was taught at synagogue school when they learned Tobit. Don't dismiss the Catholics, because they have extra books in their Bible. I actually read them sometimes. They're actually pretty pretty amazing. There's some cool stuff in there. Bell and the Dragon, Susanna, those are two really good ones. All right. uh, Jesus didn't teach a lot of radically new stuff. Did you know that? Matthew 5.21, he said, You have heard it was said by the people long ago, but I tell you. <laughs> he is simply repeating what everybody already knows and is saying, I'm going to tell you my way. My way is the better way. By the way, the golden rule, the golden rule was around well before Jesus. Um, I'll back up. Tobit 4.15. Is that in the notes there? Tobit 4.15. And what you hate. Do not do to anyone. That sounds a lot like the golden rule, except Jesus took it from a negative to a positive. He said this. uh, So would everything do to others what we would have them do to you. So. Jesus actually is restating old teachings. So when Jesus shows up, he's not presenting anything new, which is why I, I spend a lot of time studying this portion of the world, this time period of the world, because this time period of the world tells me what Jesus is doing is he is recasting a worldview. That's what Jesus did. He recast a worldview. All right. So there are major sects in the days of Jesus on earth. One is Pharisees. Y'all. Ever read the Bible, see the Pharisees? We are the Pharisees are the closest to what we believe because Jesus was probably actually a Pharisee himself in in theology. He was not a Pharisee in action and behavior, but he was Pharisee in theology. Uh, Along with the Torah, they accepted as equally inspired and authoritative all the commands set forth in the oral traditions preserved by the rabbis. That's where Jesus differed with them the most, is he was saying the oral traditions are not true, are not to be held like the scriptures. Um, they were, yeah, I won't go into it. They were the Sadducees. Why were they sad? No resurrection. They did not believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see.
0: <laughs>
1: they only believed the Torah. They didn't believe any of the prophetic writings were inspired by God. There were the Essenes. They were uh, probably originated from the Hasidim, along with the Pharisees. And, but the Essenes were a separatist group. They were, um, they were the original homeschoolers. Does anybody remember in the 80s when people homeschooled how weird it was? Hey. Now it's normal. <laughs> but in the 80s, homeschooling was a little different, right? It was pulling out of culture. That would have been an Essene worldview. And then there are the Zealots, and they're the ones, they originated during the time of Herod the Great, and they believed that their job was to destroy and to kill all Romans and get rid of them. Eventually they tried in 70 AD, And Rome dropped a hammer on them and totally destroyed Israel completely. It is the destruction of the temple that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 23, 24, and 25. It is the prophecy that uh, proves, probably is one of the strongest prophecies proving Jesus and his validity of his ministry. But we'll talk about it in a minute. So let's look at four different gospels. Let's go first to Mark. Who is Mark? Um, I've taught this on a Sunday morning. Does anybody remember that, me teaching this on a Sunday morning? we got like two people. Because I've taught this, I'm not going to chew my cabbage quite. I'm going to go fast, all right? Mark. Mark, the book of Mark, was authored by Mark in Rome, and it had to be before, uh, had to be before what, 63 A.D. no matter what. The reason it had to be is because Peter died in 63 A.D. He was crucified upside down by um, Nero. 1 Peter 3.15 She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings as does my son Mark. What this does is this verse puts Mark and Peter in Babylon, which wasn't Babylon, he was Rome, and it puts the two together before Peter's death And what we have is Papias, who was an early church father, he said, um, this is a quote from Papias, a church father. He said, Mark had been the interpreter or translator for Peter, and he wrote down as much as Peter told of the sayings and deeds of Christ, accurately, but not in order, for he was not a hearer or follower of the Lord but as I said of Peter who adapted his teaching as needed and did not arrange the sayings of the Lord in an orderly manner so it seems like Papias is trying to tell us this is not a chronological the book of Mark is not a chronological writing of the life of Jesus seems that he's making that point since he said it twice Um, and so Mark made no mistake in writing some things down as he recalled them For he had a single concern to omit nothing of what he heard and to introduce no false statement. So that's from uh, Papias, a church father, uh, who wrote about how we got the book of Mark. So Peter, in Rome, the church comes to Peter. Let me give you one more. Clement of Alexandria uh, says this. The gospels that include genealogies, Matthew and Luke, were written first. But that the gospel according to Mark came about in this way, when Peter had publicly proclaimed the word and by the Spirit preached the gospel at Rome, those who had spoken, uh, those who were present being many, urged Mark to make a record of what had been spoken. And last of all, John, aware of the outward facts that had been said in the synoptic gospels, was encouraged by his disciples and motivated by the Spirit, composed a spiritual gospel. All right. So what we have is we have the early church fathers. It seemed they were concerned about how we got these books. They wanted to know how we got what we got in our Bible. So the statement is, is that the book of Mark was sort of dictated, if you will, by Peter, who was the apostolic authority, and Mark wrote it down in a careful way to convey what Peter had been teaching the church in Rome. So when we look at the book of Mark, it helps us to know who the people are. So let's, let's talk about Peter's testimony in the book of Mark real quick, okay? In the book of Mark, Peter is viewed negatively every time he's mentioned. There is a self-deprecation of Peter going on here. Peter's the one that denied Christ three times, and it seems he's presenting that. Um, there are a lot of other things in the book I can talk about. It. Another thing that you want to know about the book of Mark Is that there are Aramaic words that are are translated for us to understand, but Latin words are never translated? Do you know what that means? (laughs) It means that when it was written down, the people understood Latin, but not Aramaic. Where would that put them then? Rome. All right? The date was definitely before A.D. 68, not 63, I'm sorry, when Peter was killed by Nero. So no matter what, within 35 years of death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, the book of Mark was written. had to be before 68 A.D. All right, so who was Mark? Mark was a, well, he was a rich kid. How do we know? Because he tells a story that's not found in any other gospel. It's only found in the book of Mark. And that's at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark chapter 14 verse 15, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment, garment following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Why is this story included and it's not included anywhere else? Because this is one Mark's one insertion into his gospel. I was there. How, how does this fit Mark's character? Well, we know a couple of things about Mark. We know that he was rich. How do we know that Mark was rich? Because he wore a linen garment here, but some another place... Acts chapter 12, verse 25. Barnabas and Paul had finished their mission. They returned to Jerusalem, taking with them... Well, hold on, I missed it. Sorry. Acts 12, 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where the people had gathered and were praying. So where, where were they praying? They were praying in the house of Mary, whose son was Mark. If you have the entire church gathered in the house, is it a little small ramshackle house? No, that's where the church met on a regular basis. AD 79, Pompeii was destroyed. I had a chance this year to walk into a house that resembled probably what one of these houses looked like. It was a large courtyard, a large kitchen off to the side. You could have a church of 150, 250 people in that place with no issue. There were multiple rooms and place to gather and hear, and you could hear the teaching. It would be close and tight. But he was a rich person that had that house because everybody else's houses were about this big. Y'all following? So we know something about Mark. He was rich. Uh, um, They wanted to take Mark. Paul took Mark along on on a missions journey. In 1225, Barnabas said and Saul finished their mission. They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John called Mark. So Mark is hanging out with Paul on a missions trip. Acts 15, Barnabas wanted to take John. He also called Mark with him, but Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphili. So, what did he do? Things got tired, tough. What did he do? He
0: ran away.
1: He left. He ran away. What happened back in the garden? Yeah, the garden of Gethsemane? He what did he do? He ran away. What did Mark have a habit of doing? He ran away. Running away. He yeah. So, uh, what we know? Toward the end of his ministry, Paul even called. Mark useful because he was changed. Colossians fourteen and Philemon 1.24. With Paul in prison, Mark was somebody there taking care of him. So Mark learned at some point to quit running away and to stick even with a guy who was in prison for the gospel. Amen. So what is the message here? The message of the book of Mark is this. Jesus is a secret. <clears throat> a secret. Remember, you're talking about Mark who's run away twice and you're talking about Peter that denied Christ three times. Do you think there's any psychology going on among these two runawayers, quitters, deniers of Christ? Do you think maybe there's any psychology that they're going to present in the writing of their gospel to help you overcome the tendency to run away or deny Christ? Maybe. Maybe. Consider they're both first-time losers. Ooh. First time losers. And now we've got a gospel written by these losers. Wow. What? Rest Mark 4.10. Jesus is described this way. Mark 4.10. When he was alone, the twelve of the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them a secret. The messianic secret is the key to understanding the book of Mark. Messianic secret. What that means is, is Jesus is a secret who he is is a secret now what we're going to find out in this story and other stories what we're going to find out is is that the demons kept telling everybody kept telling all the time jesus kept saying shut up don't tell anyone shut up don't tell anyone what did everybody do the entire book of mark they told everyone they told everyone so the entire book of mark is about a messianic secret it starts right here the secret of the kingdom of heaven is given to you my disciples but everybody else out there i'm going to speak in parables and i'm going to hide it because the messianic secret is the message of the book of mark to understand the book of mark you need to understand that jesus didn't want his identity known during his ministry mark 1:24. what do you want with us jesus in nazareth Have you come to destroy us I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Everybody else knows. Jesus says, what? Be quiet. said, Jesus, sternly come out of Mark 1, 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone. Mark 5, 43. gave strict orders not to tell anyone. You can see it also in 736, 826. What I'm telling you is there's an ongoing theme in the book of Mark. Jesus doesn't want to be known, he is the secret. Why? All right, everybody open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Everybody open Mark chapter 16. Now, about verse 9, about verse 9, all of you should have a separation of some sort. If you don't, you need to get a new Bible. And it should say, something along the lines, in a footnote or somewhere around, it should make a statement about verses 9 through the end of the chapter. What does the statement say in your Bible? Earliest Earliest manuscripts, what? No matter what, no matter what you're reading, somewhere there it says the earliest manuscripts don't include this, right? Right i would love to get into textual criticism about how we know what the earliest manuscripts what later are i don't have time to get into that today but let's just say original was written there were copies made of the original there were copies made of the copies somewhere around copies made of copies of copies somewhere around there we start getting copies of them all right Are y'all follow me these copies that are made of the copies that are down in this level don't have these verses. Now when you get to the copies, made the copies, made the copies, made the copies and you get down to this level those verses start appearing. By the way, there are four potential endings that are found of the book of Mark. There are four. Um, There are three different versions and then there's my version. We'll talk about my version in just a second. Now, um, not that I wrote it up. It's what I believe the, the version is. Because we start finding changes down in this area that weren't here in this area. And your Bibles included them, especially King James included them, because they went with a majority text where this text was equal as this text. And by the way, there are literally thousands of Greek documents down here, and there's only a handful up here. So the Greek text said, oh, we've got thousands of documents with it, rather than paying attention to the three or four that were up here that did that. Are you to follow me? understand a little bit about textual criticism? So the NIV and others give more weight to these earlier documents, Especially if they're in agreement. And these earlier documents are in agreement. There was no ending to the book of Mark. So what's been marked? the entire book of Mark? What's been the lesson of the book of Mark? We're all a bunch of losers. Jesus is private. And he's telling us, he's telling everybody not to tell. And everybody is doing what? Are you all following? (laughs) Alright, now let's come to Mark chapter 16 Verse 1. Somebody want to read it really loud? Somebody want to read it really loud? And the Sabbath was
0: passed, Mary Mary was, married, Mary was married to the mother of James. And Solomon bought spices so they might go and anoint him. Keep going. And, and in, barely in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who would roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Where are you? Yours? Are you reading here? No. no.
1: Where are you at? Oh, you're over there. I'm looking at yours going, that's not what no, it says. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you're right.
0: Keep going. And looking up they saw that the stone had been rolled away and they're very large, and entering the tomb they saw they saw a young man sitting on the right hand, uh, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen, he is not here, see the place where he where they laid him. But go. But what? But go, tell his disciples And do what? Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you would see him just as he told you. And he went out and and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling uh, and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. They said, what? Nothing. Are you all getting this? What's the whole book of Mark? What's the sort
1: of the great narrative of the book of Mark? Jesus is a secret and everybody's talking. And Jesus is saying, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk we get to chapter 16 what happened
0: there
1: go talk what did they do they didn't go talk do you think that's an accident that they ended that way now hey listen the, that that uh, longer ending of the book of mark there's only one thing. Actually, there's really nothing in that book of Mark longer ending that you can't find elsewhere in the New Testament. So you don't need to build your theology off of it. From there you have other places you can build it. People speak in tongues. They, a drink no deadly poison is probably the only thing that's not specifically mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. Remember, Peter even had a snake by them and shook it off in the fire. And, all right, are you all following me? Why not leave the ending where the original ending was? It could have been lost. There was potential of an ending that was lost, which we don't have. There is the ending that was intentionally ended here. And then there's this longer ending. And there's also a second, shorter ending, which is found in many other places as well. So what I was telling you is the book of Mark probably had a reason for being written. And it's probably a challenge to you that once you find out Jesus is resurrected, you should go talk. Don't be a coward like us. All right, something you should know about Jesus in Mark. If the audience is Gentiles, it would make sense the very simple Greek be used, and it is. It's real simple Greek. If you know anything about Peter, Peter was probably a very simple man. He spoke simply, and uh, there are Latin words written in Greek letters without explanation, Aramaic words, Jewish customs are explained. Here's another one. Anybody ever listen to a preacher? These preachers drive me crazy. I'm sorry. I'm allowed to say that. But anybody hear a preacher that immediately is their favorite word? And immediately! And immediately! And immediately! Anybody ever heard one of those? You've got to grow up in Pentecostal circles here. That guy, I guess. Anyway, Peter was an immediately preacher. The Greek word, uthus, immediately, happens 42 times in the Book of Mark. Immediately. Here's what was going on. Every time Jesus said something it happened immediately all right so um it's an action-packed story about the coming of the son of god um jesus is in control in the book of mark there is no doubt jesus is in control it's written for a roman audience with a roman mentality written through a guy like peter Jesus is in control. The wind and the waves, he's walking on them, he speaks to them, they shut up, demons come out, boom, dying. everywhere Jesus goes, he's like, he's never, he, Jesus doesn't say much in the book of Mark. In Matthew, there are long sweeping stories and teachings of Jesus and Mark. Jesus is the silent, powerful guy. Look at it. Everybody does the talking except him. Anyway, uh, I, I love that about this book, there's a uniqueness to it. If you will, it's the man's man view of Jesus. Um, the key verse is Mark 10:45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you want an outline, I'll give you an outline for the book of Mark, and then we'll be done with it. It's really quick. Y'all ready for this? Part 1 is chapters 1 through 8:26, Part 2 is chapter 8:27 through 16:8. One is him going to Jerusalem, and the other is him going to die. His movement through ministry until he goes to Jerusalem, and then from Jerusalem to die. All right. Any questions on that before I move along? Yeah, I do want to tell you about the change there. Following Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ on the road to Caesarea Philippi in 8.27, Jesus abruptly begins teaching about his coming suffering and death. From there on, all events move inexorably toward the cross. So, that's what Mark is about. Questions on Mark? Go to Matthew. Alright, let's go to Matthew. I've got 25 minutes. If you're bored, tough. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Matthew? What do we know Matthew? Matthew
0: again, don't worry about
1: Matthew was a what? What do for me? Tax collector. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, he was a tax collector. So what do we know about tax collectors? First of all, somebody asked me a question about this the other day. What, what's the matter with tax collectors? I led a guy in Christ down in, um, down in Florida, and we've been texting ever since, and he's reading his Bible, and he says, what's the matter with tax collectors? I said, well, you have to understand that everybody was Jewish, and if you're Jewish... You were a tax collector for Rome, and Rome were the oppressors. So imagine if Germany had won the war, all right? and we were all forced to speak German, even though we were speaking English in our home. And and let's just say Brandon here decides to become a tax collector for Germany and charge us 60% of our wages off the top. Well, 70 because you mean 10% for you. How would you view Mr. Brandon? Okay. Benedict Arnold, that is fine. All right, that's when my tax collectors were so hated. So, uh, we know something about the book of Matthew was written to Jewish people. How do we know that? Well, there's a prominent use of Old Testament quotations. There are at least 50 clear quotations of the Old Testament in Matthew's Gospel. There's a Jewish genealogy in chapter 1, tracing Abraham's genealogy. There's interest in fulfilled prophecy. I do not have time to give you all the verses for that, but there are at least 10 that I have in my notes. There's interest in Jesus as the son of David. Why would son of David matter? Because David was promised the kingdom. You're right. And All right. So, uh, and and also, it's never called the kingdom of God in the book of Matthew. It's always the kingdom of heaven. Do you all know what that's called? That's called circumlocution. Do you know what circumlocution means? When I was a kid, I got a whipping one day. I literally got a spanking for singing, Dang me, dang me, they ought to take a rope and hang it. It was a popular song on the radio. I heard it, I sang it, I got a whipping for it. Do you know why I got a whipping for it? Because dang is too close to that other four-letter word we don't use. Yep. So circumlocution is saying dang when you mean the other word. So they called it the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God because God's name is holy and you weren't allowed to speak God's name. Y'all yeah. Now, I've got more I could give you. But I'm not trying to get to, to your heads here. I just want to say, have I given you enough evidence to make you think that Matthew was written for a Jewish audience? Yes. Okay, a Jewish audience. Something else you need to know about Matthew is Matthew is the only gospel writer that uses the Greek word ekklesia, or church. The only one that uses it. Uh, he uses it twice. Can we tell you a little story about the first time? I think we got a couple of pictures. Uh, they're going up to Mount Hermon. Uh, no, can you go to the next? There you go. They're going to Mount Hermon, and Jesus is going to be transfigured. Before he gets there, he says, he says this famous statement. Uh, actually, he comes back down to Mount Hermon, and he said, Upon you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Anybody ever read that? The gates of Hades? Will not Anybody ever read that? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Peter. Uh, makes a confession that Jesus is the Lord and the confession is a Petros or Petra the confession is a Petra and he says I tell you you are Peter Petros Petros is masculine you are Peter and upon this confession this Petra feminine rock you're Peter little pebble and upon this Petra I'll build my church. He's not in reference to Peter there as the founder of the church. What he's in reference to is the confession of Jesus as Lord. Amen. Now this happened at this location. And look at what's that big hill made out of in the background there? Rock. So he's drawing some illusions because the story happened here. You know how I know it happened here? Because what do you think that little hole in the wall is called there? The gates of hell. And they believe that's where Pan went in and out every year and brought, brought uh, uh, spring back out. And it was Hades. So he would go into the underworld and he would take all of the, the production and all the warmth and all the, the life on the green trees. He would take it with him because Pan would go away and all of the life would go with him. And then he would come back out in the spring and he would bring life back out. And Jesus says, you are Petra. And upon this Petros. All right, you are Petros, and upon this Petra, this rock of the confession of Jesus, I will build my ecclesia, my call that one, which means that yeah, it's not get there. Anyway, <laughs> and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's standing at the gates of hell telling them that no matter what happens when you make the confession of Jesus, even what the world's greatest powers, he believes they are, they're not going to prevail Against the believers of Jesus. Amen. This is good stuff. I gotta move on though. I hope you uh, hope. hope you took note of that. All right. So uh, Matthew talks about the church a couple different ways. Um, he notes the tension between Jewish synagogues and Christians in chapter ten, verse seventeen, and chapter twenty-three, verse thirty-four. So Matthew is actually writing the story back, and he is addressing some of the. Problems that the church was going through when he's writing and uh, and he's using these stories. Uh, so the gospel declares that the message is for the lost sheep of Israel. But listen to this: in Matthew, Gentile women are included in the genealogy. Wise men who are Gentiles came to Jesus' birth. Centurions are always mentioned as people of faith. And the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, is to take the gospel to all the world. So even though this is a Jewish... Hold on. It's sort of like he's making a statement to Jewish believers that you are not the only ones. That there is a Gentile world that needs this gospel message as well. What do we know about the book of Matthew? It was written before A.D. 70, when the temple was destroyed. How do we know? Well, <clears> the <throat> pious, the vicious bishop of Heriopolis said, Matthew compiled the oracles of the Hebrew dialect, and everyone translated them as best he could. It said that, that uh, Matthew's document was originally in Hebrew. Another guy, uh, Matthew published the gospel in writing among the Hebrews in their own language. While Peter and Paul were preaching the gospel and founding the church in Rome, after their death, Mark, the disciple and interpreter Peter, also transmitted to us in writing what Peter used to preach. And Luke, Paul's associate, sent down the book of the gospel uh, that Paul used to preach. Later, John, the Lord's disciple, the one who lay on his lap, also set out a gospel while living at Ephesus in Asia Minor. And that's from Irenaeus uh, from about 150, 160 AD. I could get into the Hebrew-Aramaic thing. Let's, let's not deal with that. Let's talk about Q for a second because I really need to go here. Uh, to understand... There's no way we're getting to the Book of John today. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's cool. It's <That's> confusing, anyway. What? <laughs> yeah, I was about like that. Stop it. Leave me alone. All right. So we have three gospels: Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let me flip over in my notes to something I want to. Mark has Mark has 661 verses. Matthew has 1,068 verses. All right, are you ready for this? 92% of Mark is reproduced in Matthew. Behind you. Behind you. Oh, 97.2, I'm sorry. 97.2. Alright. he said, wow. All right, Luke. Oh, you've got this. Why am I writing it down? Gee <laughs> whiz. All right, so Luke has 1,149 verses. 88.4% of Mark is reproduced in Luke. Over 90% of John's material is unique to him. Five of the seven miracles are unique. What you're seeing there is, though, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have they've got some similarities so many places it's word for word but like with this the, the, the beatitudes there are differences as well one of my favorite is one of the gospels says and they when Jesus cast out a demon they said and they praise God who had given such authority to men and another one just simply says they praise God there's a little bit of difference there, right?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: All right. So there is something called, if you read any kind of uh, literature around the synoptic gospels that's any good, you're going to come across Q. Q is the for the, uh, the Latin word quell, which means source. So here's I'll give you where I'm going with this, okay? Because... Obviously, there is a common source, be it Mark. Mark and priority is something that a lot of people say that Mark was written first, the other two guys copied. By the way, Luke admits that he did his research and read other documents. So there's not any problem with that, because he said he did it. But I believe there was, a, there was a source that they all used that was not necessarily written. It may have been written originally. Because what was Matthew's job? Tax collector. tax collector. Now, if you're a tax collector here, Brandon, and you want to make sure you, you get all the money out of everybody in this room, are you smart enough to remember every single person exactly how much they paid, what their income is, and if they gave you the right amount? Just off the top of your head, can you pull all of that out? No? What would you need to do then? You'd probably need to do what? Write it down. So what would a tax collector be really good at doing? Writing things out. Who was the tax collector that hung out with Jesus during all of his earthly ministry? Matthew. Matthew? Do you think Matthew ever took a note? Yes. yes. Isn't it his very nature to take notes? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I think I just solved you. Don't tell all the professors at school. They'll be mad at (laughs) me. No, I believe, this is my personal belief, and and I've done this through research, I believe there was a written document that became, if you will, the foundational understanding of the basic teachings of Jesus that were then passed along orally to the church through memorization. That's the reason they're all word for word. Because, if I were to say to you, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers... Forth 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 on this, forth this conscience and in this nation.
0: Why do you know that? Why do, why do any of you know what goes next?
1: Somebody right. it. They made you memorize it. But <laughs> what if you were a Christian and every single week in your Christian little synagogue, Christian school, they made you memorize the Beatitudes? Oh, yeah. What would, dear God, what's the matter with us? We We don't demand our kids learn things anymore. We were right. huh. Do you, do you know how I'm able to recall so many scriptures off the top of my head? Because when I was a kid, I memorized hundreds of them. Why don't we do something to get our kids from memorizing scripture again? Yeah, parents.
0: We are. How about, how about <laughs> your
1: dinner table? How about your dinner table? Before you eat. Oh boy. You stop and memorize the scripture. Come on, leave it. And then you pray that means you've got to wait for mom to sit down before you can begin eating too. My oh, come, husband, on. come on, come up another 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> or, maybe this is way too practical. But what would happen? By the way, the number one defining characteristic is if a kid remains true to their faith after they've grown up and left home, number one is interaction with the scriptures. What would happen, dad, if you made, mom, if you made, everybody memorize a scripture before they ate their food? Tell you what had happened one day. We were having trouble. You've heard this story. I don't care. I'll tell it again. We we're having trouble in our house with one of our kids, and there was attitude all around the table from one of our kids. And we had been memorizing, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in the humility of mind consider others better than yourself." Yeah. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So we're going on, and this one child at the table is just attitude. And my little three-year-old Heather hops up in the middle of the conversation. One. selfish ambition. Oh, argument <laughs> ended. Praise God. If you don't get anything else out of do let's take that home. All right. So the once again, the differences do not undermine the quality of the teaching in each gospel. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to spend enough time to learn to hear their individual voices. Matthew's voice um yeah I'm just going to leave that there. I'm going to leave all that alone and we'll go back to, to Matthew. Matthew's voice is calling us to a Jesus who is the fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. Um It had to be written before 70 AD. The reason is, is Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, 24, and 25, he tells them that Israel is going to be destroyed. The temple is going to be destroyed. Not one stone will be left on each other. And he tells them it's gonna happen. And he says, this is what he tells them to do, flee to the mountains before that happens. It's in my notes, I forget who the actual guy was, if y'all trust me, because I don't see anybody taking notes on the actual people I'm quoting from. But one of the early church fathers wrote that uh, there were a group of people that took Jesus' warning. Uh, do you have that quote? Is that who it is? No. I
0: think. It's Josephus,
1: isn't it? No, it wasn't Josephus. There was, a, there was somebody that said the early Christians took Jesus at his word and they fled Jerusalem right when they saw the Roman armies coming around. And Jewish people escaped the destruction that happened the Christians escaped the destruction that came on Jerusalem in AD 70 and the only way the only way they would have known to flee the Christians would have known to flee instead of hunker down is if they were following the words of Jesus so anybody that puts the Gospels as being written after 70 AD because there's no way blah 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 no by the way if it was written after 70 AD by the way, almost the entire New Testament is written before 70 A.D., especially in the book of Hebrews. Because all the author of the book of Hebrews would have to do to make his argument is simply say, well, even the temple's gone now. Yeah, right. And nobody in the New Testament makes the argument that even the temple is gone. Do you know why? Because all the documents were written before 70 A.D. By the way, the destruction of the temple proves everything the Christian church was saying was going to happen. Amen. They didn't need to prophesy it. It was proof. Then no longer was a temple needed. Now there was Jesus. That, sorry, that might be a little bit. Oh, in Matthew, Jesus is presented as a second lawgiver. He is constantly compared to Moses. There are all kinds of similarities in Matthew to Moses and Jesus. This is really interesting. Think about it. They both come out of Egypt. They both were almost killed as children. They both came to set their people free. They both fast and pray for 40 days on the mountain. They both give a new law. They both give five new teachings. Jesus, uh, by the way, the book of Matthew revolves around five teachings of Jesus, starting with the uh, Sermon on the Mount and ending with the, uh, the teaching about the destruction of the temple. All right? Real quick, we're going to do Luke, and then we're going to go. All right? Luke up against the top. Alright, Luke. Here's the best way I know of understanding Luke. Luke is written to a Gentile audience. Um, It's in those books, there are going to be one or two sentences in every one of those books that say the same thing. Do you remember the book of Acts? The end of the book of Acts, where is Paul? In the book of Acts, anybody remember? Because Luke and Acts are a two-volume set, right? He says, he starts in Acts chapter two. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all Jesus began to do and teach. And then in Acts, he tells us the rest of the works through the church. Where does the book of Acts end? Anybody remember? Paul, Paul is in Rome where? In prison. in prison, awaiting what? Execution. Awaiting an appeal to Caesar. <clears throat> appeal to Caesar. Now, here's what's going on. This will help you understand it all. All right. And I've said this before, but let me do this again. Um, Paul is saying Rome allowed Judaism to exist. The reason it allowed Judaism to exist is because it was an existing religion before Rome came into power. So they said, We're not dumb enough to tell everybody they've got to stop all their worship. We're just going to allow no new worship, just older religions. So Judaism was allowed to exist. What Paul is appealing is that Christianity is protected under Roman rule, that Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, not separate religion, but actually is Judaism in its fulfilled form. Is everybody following that? So that is his appeal to Caesar. And in his appeal to Caesar, he is asking for permission to continue worshiping. So if you're going to appeal to the to the Supreme Court of the United States, wouldn't you want to send a court brief in advance? The book of Acts Romans, the two books of Acts Romans are a court brief sent in advance to the Roman world. That's why they were written to carefully investigate Judaism and Christianity, how it is the fulfillment of Judaism and to carefully investigate it and to pass it along in a way, y'all ready for this? That actually sucks up to Rome. That's why every Roman official in Luke Acts is always right. You, you do research. Now, Pilate, the Roman official, washes his hands. Centurions, There's no greater faith than you Roman centurion. Are you all following? What else are they concerned with? Concerned with women. Why? Because women aren't going to overthrow the Roman government. They're just women. So this Christianity, it's, it's just for women and kids. Well, I mean, look at the number of women in the book of Luke compared to Matthew and Mark. It's... This isn't dangerous. This actually makes our homes and our lives healthier, and it makes better godly people who serve Rome better. You read the book of Luke and Acts with that understanding, that although he's not, well, there are a couple of times that he pushes up against it, as Christianity always pushes against the edges. But the basic presentation is, is that, hey, guys, Christianity is no harm to Rome. It's actually a help to Rome. And if you read those two books with that, sort of eyes understand understanding it will help you. All right. John, oh my goodness. All right, can I, can I tell you one thing that you have? You have a handout. I gave you uh, one other thing in the handout. Go to the par- parables that has Thomas. Want to talk about Thomas, and then I'm going to be done, Pastor Caleb. Give me two minutes, all right? You got. it. all right. All right. And uh, we might need to take a break because you've got you've got twenty minutes of material. Thirty. 20. Fifteen to twenty. Fifteen to twenty. I'm ready to power through and get done. All right. So let me handle why I put Thomas in there, and let me answer a question about Thomas real quick. Thomas is another gospel that is not in your Bible. Do you know why? Because it was written about 150 A.D. 150 A.D. Now, we've already said on multiple levels that every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were all written before 70 A.D., correct? That means that would have been written 80 years later. All right? Here's what else you need to notice. Everything in the book of Thomas, everything in the book of Thomas that makes sense, everything that makes sense is found in the synoptic gospels there are a few things though that don't make sense here we go can I give you one of them? sure why did I? okay here we go Thomas 15 gospel. this is a quote from the gospel of Thomas you ready? Jesus said when you see one who is not born of a woman fall on your faces and worship that one is your father Who is not born of a woman? Even Jesus was born of a woman. What's he talking about? What you talking about, Willis? How about this one? Thomas 1, 14. Simon Peter said to them, Take Mary and leave us, for females don't deserve a life. Jesus said, Look, I will guide her to make her to a male. Didn't realize it was the 21st century. Oh, So that she too can become a living spirit resembling you males. For every female who makes herself a male will enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Yeah. Why is the Gospel of Thomas not included in your Gospels and in your Bible? Because it's crazy, dude. And everything in there that's of value you can find in the synoptic Gospels. Did you know that? And it was written eight years after the fact. But I included it in there because we have a bunch of people running around that are saying, "Who is the Bible left out all these other gospels?" Yeah, we left them out on purpose, on purpose, because they don't belong there. All right, I didn't get to John. Uh, we'll get to John some other time. Thank you for your patience putting up with me. I hope that you enjoyed something and learned something today. And Pastor we